So I stumbled upon this, and apparently this individual went from zero to 300 houses real quick. And the account is at TCRUZNC. I guess he's Tom Cruise or something. Not Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise with a Z. So let's check this out. Went from zero houses to 300 houses. Okay, this is a 60 second video on how I went from zero houses to over 300 in less than six years. To begin, this is the first house that I learned how to wholesale with. Very important in my real estate journey. Here are the numbers here, and then let's move on to the. So he found a deal off market, a neighbor referral. They wanted $80,000. He offered $67,000, and he found a buyer at $75,000 and made $8,000 profit, which is wholesaling. To the first condo that I bought. So this is my first condo. I use the USDA loan. Put so USDA slash FHA loans allow for low down payments, great entry point to real estate. The only problem is that you're still going to end up basically being forced to pay for the mortgage insurance, which is just like an added cost. Zero percent down on it. Lived in this property for about a year, and then I rented it out. In that meantime, I was wholesaling that entire year, saving cash, generating generating more and more cash, reinvesting it. And now this is the first condo that I bought after that process. So I reinvested that cash that I made. So then he went to Antler Drive in the it was seller finance, 120k list, offered 110k, and seller let me put down only 10k, low mortgage, high rent. From wholesaling into single okay. family properties, this is the first one that I got. This one here is actually on Antler Drive in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's currently rented at $1,200 a month. Great first entrance. Now I've decided that I wanted to try the affordable housing. So this is my next uh, move into that. This is my first house. So Warzone House was bought for $55,000. I had to beg the appraiser to give me the value I needed. Huge home run, $217 mortgage, but $1,350 Section 8. So I'm guessing with Section 8, you end up getting paid basically by the government to provide housing in a way, or like basically are like people in a, like I'm not too familiar with Section 8, but I believe people are able to get into a Section 8 housing and the government will basically be paying for the rent, right? Now, I believe it's typically in like cases, like in like in locations where like it's really bad, like really bad. House that I bought in a legit war zone in downtown Wilmington, high crime rate, learned a lot about Section 8, learned a lot about rentals and tenants. Um, it gave me a really good starting point into building a partnership and being able to start scaling. So let's get into that part two. Okay, so there's more of this. Apparently he's depositing a $1,176,281.04 check into Wells Fargo, which I don't know why he chose Wells Fargo, but uh, yeah, so I wanted to do a little bit of research on Section 8. So, should you rent your property to Section 8 tenants? Because again, I'm not too familiar with Section 8, right? So, ever since the Great Depression, there have been housing assistance programs in the United States. One of the most popular is a federal program known as Section 8 that's managed by local public housing authorities. And Section 8 may also provide investors who want to take part in active real estate investing with some great opportunities. So how it works. 
Created in 1974, Section 8 has undergone many changes and amendments, and today's version is a housing choice voucher program. It works like this. Eligible families can find a rental unit of their choice after receiving a voucher that pays up to 70% of the monthly rent plus utility bills. The families are responsible for paying the remaining 30%. Section 8 typically includes housing assistance to disabled persons and elderly citizens as well as low-income families. So housing choice vouchers are administered locally by public housing agencies, PHAs. And the PHAs receive federal funds from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development HUD to administer the voucher program. In most communities, there's a waiting list to receive assistance once the applicant is qualified. So the eligibility. Applicants must meet certain eligible criteria, including total family income, which can be no higher than 50% of the median income in the county in which the applicant lives. Number two, the total number of family members that will reside in the unit. Number three, recipient must be a U.S. citizen or an immigrant with documents providing legal immigration status. And the program mandates that up to 75% of the total number of housing vouchers must be given to families or individuals whose total family income is not higher than 30% of the median income in the area in which they choose to live. So if you're investing in city or rural rental properties, you'll likely to run into Section 8 tenants with housing vouchers. And as a landlord, you can legally choose to participate and accept Section 8 tenants or not. So, okay. So the advantages to landlords who accept Section 8 vouchers. On-time guaranteed monthly rental income. The biggest advantage of accepting Section 8 tenants is the regular check you receive each month from the government. The government typically pays between 50% and 65% of the tenants run it. The amount depends on tenant income and anticipated utility costs for the specific property. Once your lease agreement is in place and all the paperwork completed, many tenants have a packet, you're guaranteed an on-time check from the government for a substantial portion of the rent. That's because the PHA sends the portion of the rent they're paying directly to the landlord. The tenant sends a separate check for their portion and pays utilities directly to the provider. So, okay. Now then, I completely, completely understand why in some cases this might be basically like a perfect situation for an investor in that context, right? So if we go back to here, what this person said, let's see. Uh... Okay, this is a 60-second video. Right, it should be about here. So he bought the house for like 55k, right? The mortgage for the home, right, was 217, but he's getting 1350 from Section 8, right? Now I'm guessing that might be like the total rent amount, maybe. So maybe half of that. So that means basically, no matter what, he's always making a profit even if the tenant didn't pay their portion, I'm assuming. So, yeah, I guess in some cases it might actually, if you were to structure it correctly, it might actually work out perfectly for some people. So lower vacancies. Reducing vacancies is important to rental property investors. 
When a property says vacant, there's no income to cover taxes, insurance, HOA fees, and other monthly holding costs. Many Section 8 tenants tend to stay put for long periods of time and are happy to renew a one-year lease over and over again. And the larger pool of tenants to choose from. Opening your rentals to Section 8 tenants could greatly increase the number of tenants from which to select. A wider selection of prospective tenants means you can be pickier and find a really good fit for your property. So when this person says, when they post a property for rent, I get tons of calls about it. Often the first question I'm asked is if I accept vouchers. If I respond no, I would limit my pool of qualified tenants. While Section 8 tenants have low incomes, they don't necessarily have a lot of other issues beyond that. As long as you screen your tenants well, they are often no different from tenants without vouchers. So basically, I guess if you were to do like a background check, etc., blah, 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 and you don't see any like red flags, then it might make sense. So favorable rental rates. There's always an acceptable range of market rental prices for similar properties. A two-bedroom, two-bath condo might rent for anywhere from 1200 to 1500 in my area. One of the benefits of Section 8 clients is that the monthly rent you can charge is at the higher end of the market rate range. The PHA knows that it's harder for Section 8 vouchers holders to find housing since not all landlords accept vouchers. So, they will accommodate the higher end of the range to allow assistance recipients to secure housing. That's not to say you can overcharge. If your rental rate is not competitive, you will likely have to lower it in order to be accepted by the Section 8 program. So additional exposure for your rental property listing. Once you and your property have been approved, you can list your property on the PHA's website where voucher holders can see it. It's an additional advertising opportunity for your listing, and it can be rewarding. So this person says, well, I'm, while I've personally never received housing assistance, I did live through my 20s building a career and surviving alone. I know what it's like to try to live on a low income and keep up with the bills. I've met some really great people who are receiving much-needed housing assistance. It feels good to provide them with a safe and nice place to call home. And if they're open to it, I get a chance to offer some personal financial advice that will help them. Basic stuff that should be taught in high school but isn't. So this is the disadvantages of housing voucher program participation. So more involved process. Accepting Section 8 vouchers means there are some hoops to jump through as a landlord. The first time I did it was both daunting and a little frustrating. It was only after I fumbled through the process that I found out the county offers a free 45-minute informational seminar for landlords once a month. To start, you have to fill out an application to be considered a Section 8 landlord. You will provide personal information and detailed information about your property. This is followed by the property inspection, and after you approve a tenant, there's more paperwork. Finally, before funds are approved for release to you, you'll need to send a copy of the lease to PHA. Additional inspection. Your property needs to be inspected by the PHA. This is a separate Section 8 inspection that's in addition to other required inspections. For example, in Baltimore County, landlords are required to secure a rental property license, and there is a special inspection required before a rental license is approved. If the property was built prior to 1978, it needs to be deemed lead safe or certified lead free. 
The PHA inspection is pretty straightforward. Your rental property has to be up to code structurally. Everything needs to be in proper repair and working safely. There's no cost to the landlord for the Section 8 inspection, and tenants are responsible for making the property available for the inspection, which typically happens soon after they've moved in. And tenant screening and selection is still very important. Although tenants need to be approved by the PHA to get a voucher, don't assume they have been screened appropriately. Make sure that you carefully screen all Section 8 tenants just as you would screen any other tenant. And you can and should perform any due diligence that doesn't include that doesn't violate the Fair Housing Act or state and local laws, including a background and a credit check. New tenant setup takes up to 60 days. There's a 60-day processing time with the PHA. This means you'll need to wait two months before receiving the government's first check. For example, this person says, I had a Section 8 family move into my three-bedroom townhouse on January 1st. I received the tenant's rent portion on January 1st and February 1st as required, but I didn't receive the government's check until March 1st. And at that time, I received three months' rent all at once, January, February, and March. And special eviction rules. Evicting tenants is something every real estate investor wants to avoid. It's costly, time-consuming, and expensive. Screen tenants carefully prior to placement to lessen the chances of having to do this. Fortunately, I haven't had to go through this process with any of my properties. Evicting Section 8 tenants, though, is a little more involved than a regular eviction. To evict a Section 8 tenant after he or she has been accepted, you need a judicial action. This holds true in even in states that offer other methods of eviction. So here's the thing. I guess like it really comes down to this. I feel like if you're someone who's already in the real estate game and you are already like doing investments, I don't think there's anything wrong with you maybe adding this potentially down the line or like as like another way to potentially test the waters out. But for someone to just like get into real estate investments and they start with like Section 8 housing kind of seems like it might be more hassle than it's worth for a lot of early real estate investors, right? Especially for like your first one, but yeah. Hmm. Financing challenges. Okay, so at purchase prices below seventy-five thousand or even a hundred thousand, it's difficult to get financing. So lenders earn nearly all their revenues as a percentage of the loan amount. A fifty thousand dollar loan comes with the same amount of work as a five hundred thousand dollar loan, but the latter brings in ten times as much revenue. Interesting. So most investment property lenders don't even consider loans below 75000 And redlining laws notwithstanding, you better believe that underwriters pay closer attention to properties in lower-end neighborhoods. Interesting. So yeah, basically it's like, um, I guess the best way to put it, Section 8 investing might be like a double-edged sword, right? Where you could potentially make very good, consistent money, but the downsides could be heavy 
if they were to ever come about. So it's just something to think about. If you want to learn how to get out of debt and master your money and learn how I got out of debt and grew my net worth, go down below. Personally, to me, if I had the excess cash, I probably wouldn't be going down the Section 8 housing route. Just me personally, but to each their own.